You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being your host for today as well as serving as the Executive Director for Life and Messiah International. Since 1887, Life and Messiah has been about the Lord's business of proclaiming the gospel to Jewish communities around the globe and helping Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's Word. You can learn more about the work that God is doing through our staff around the world by visiting us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, over the years, we've covered several of the covenants found in the Bible. In fact, the most downloaded episode from the Tove podcast is called Old vs. New, Distinctions Between the Covenants. In that episode, we examined the important differences and similarities between the Mosaic Covenant also referred to as the Law of Moses, and the New Covenant. But we have also produced additional episodes on other covenants found in the Bible, including the Davidic Covenant, the New Covenant, and the Abrahamic Covenant. Today, we're going to explore the Land Covenant. Have you ever heard of the Land Covenant? If not, I'm glad you're listening to today's episode, because we're going to make seven observations from the biblical text. By studying Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1, through Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, we will gain a greater understanding of Israel's relationship to the promised land and God's governing principles over Israel and the land. It should be noted that today's study is largely based off Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum's work in his study titled The Eight Covenants of the Bible. As I've said many times over the years, being aware of the different covenants throughout the Bible will greatly aid us in our understanding of the whole story of the Bible. So many times, the Bible is simply viewed as just two covenants, the old and the new. But this is a gross oversimplification of the Bible that leads to wrong beliefs and wrong interpretations about such topics as the land of Israel, the Jewish people, the church, and even our individual roles in God's redemptive program. Let's begin our study. Our first question leads us to our first observation, and it's a simple one. Where in the Bible do we find this covenant? Well, the land covenant begins at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1, and runs all the way through chapter 30, verse 20. In chapter 29, verse 1, we read the following, These are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites. Our second observation is also a simple one, but one that we must not forget. Who is this covenant or contract between? The answer is between God and Israel. For as we just read, these are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites. Our third observation is that this covenant is distinct from other covenants. It is especially important to see this covenant as being distinct from the Mosaic covenant, i.e. the law of Moses. 
Chapter 29, verse 1 says the following, quote, These are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb, end quote. Now, what's the covenant that God made with the Israelites at Horeb? Well, that's the Mosaic covenant. Notice that the two different covenants were even made at two distinct locations, one being at Mount Horeb, that's another name for Mount Sinai, and this particular covenant we're talking about today, the land covenant, was made at a completely different location, namely in the land of Moab. It should also be noted that this land covenant, found in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30, is distinct from the Abrahamic covenant. That's found in Genesis chapter 15. What's the point of making sure that we make a distinction between these covenants? Well, each covenant or contract tells us how God will govern the people, in this case Israel, or in some cases, the world. And covenants are either conditional, meaning if the people break the covenant, then God will not hold to his part, or they're unconditional. As we've mentioned on the Tove podcast before, the conditional covenant that we find in the Bible is that law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. Over and over again, we read, if, then, if, then. If the Israelites behave this way, then this will happen, whether good or bad. But that's not the case here in this land covenant. It's not the case in the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 15. It's not the case in the Davidic covenant found in 2 Samuel 7. It's not the case of the new covenant found in Jeremiah chapter 31. All of those covenants are unconditional, meaning God has taken full responsibility for the promises upon himself. They are not conditioned on someone else's behavior. So it's very important to see this land covenant as, number one, being distinct from the Mosaic covenant, even though it's found within the Torah. Number two, it's important to see it as unconditional. There's nothing that Israel can do to break the covenant. It's all dependent on God's faithfulness, and God is utterly faithful. And it's also important to see this particular covenant as distinct from the covenant found in Genesis chapter 15. Although both covenants pertain to the land, and that's why sometimes they can be confused. In Genesis chapter 15, God initiated a covenant ratification ceremony with Abraham. He took full responsibility for the covenant as he made Abraham fall into a deep sleep. There, in that chapter, the land was promised to Abraham and his descendants on an unconditional basis. There was nothing Abraham or his descendants could do to break the covenant and cause God to withdraw his promise. And that's where the confusion often creeps up on us. Bible readers and teachers alike sometimes confuse God's eternal land grant, a.k.a. the title deed, with Israel's enjoyment of that land, a.k.a. they're taking up residence in the land and enjoying it. But as we'll see in the text that follows, the title deed, which has Israel's name on it, is never up for sale. It's never at risk. Why? Because it's predicated on God's ability to fulfill his promises. However, 
What is up for grabs, and we'll see this here in the land covenant, is Israel's enjoyment of the land that they have a title deed to. Just because Israel has the title deed to their homeland, the promised land, does not mean God will always allow them to live there and prosper. As we'll see in the land covenant that follows, God reserves the right to exile his people from the land, but he also reserves the right to call them back to the land at any time he chooses. And indeed, he promises to do just that. Now, failing to make this distinction between Israel's possession of the title deed and their enjoyment of that residence will lead to a lot of confusion. As Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum notes, quote, The land covenant is an enlargement of the original Abrahamic covenant. It amplifies the land aspect and emphasizes the promise of the land to God's earthly Jewish people in spite of their unbelief. The Abrahamic covenant teaches that ownership for the land is unconditional, while the land covenant teaches that enjoyment of the land is conditioned on obedience. If you're interested in learning more about the story of Israel's rebirth in modern times, I encourage you to check out our two-part series titled The Rebirth of Israel and The Necessity of Israel's Rebirth. But this leads us to our fourth observation, and that's this. The land covenant predicts Israel's disobedience and subsequent scattering throughout the world. We see this reality throughout chapter 29. For example, in verses 16 through 19, Moses writes the following, quote, Indeed, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and passed through the nations where you traveled. You saw their detestable images and idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. Be sure there's no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there's no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. When someone hears the words of this oath, he may consider himself exempt, thinking, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. This will lead to the destruction of the well-watered land as well as the dry land. Now, a little later in verse 28, Moses warns that the children of Israel would be disciplined for turning away from the Lord. Quote, The Lord uprooted them from their land in his anger, rage, and great wrath, and threw them into another land where they are today. End quote. Our fifth observation is that although Moses predicted that Israel would fall into disobedience and they would be exiled from the land because of that disobedience, he also predicted their restoration back to the same land. We see this very clearly right after Moses warns about disobedience and exile. In chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, Moses writes the following, quote, When all these things happen to you, the blessings and curses I've set before you, and you come to your senses while you're in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and all your soul by doing everything I'm giving you today. Then He'll restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if your exiles are at the ends of the earth, He'll gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. End quote. So far, 
we've covered the first five observations about the land covenant. Our first observation is where to find the land covenant. That's in Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. Our second observation is who the covenant is made with. The answer to that is it's made between Israel and God. The third observation is an important one. It's that this covenant should be viewed as distinct from the Mosaic covenant and all other covenants found in the Bible, although it is an enlargement of the Abrahamic covenant. Our fourth observation is that this land covenant predicts Israel's disobedience and subsequent scattering or exile throughout the world. And our fifth observation is that although Moses predicted that disobedience and exile, he also predicted their restoration back to the same land. After our commercial break, we'll explore the sixth and seventh observations about the land covenant. We'll be right back on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We're talking about the land covenant today, made in Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. Before we get back to our text, I'd like to let you know about an opportunity to attend a Bible prophecy conference. This fall, on the weekend of September 15th and 16th, Life and Messiah will partner with Village Church of Dyer, Indiana, to host our fourth annual Bible prophecy conference. We're going to have some great Bible teachers who will teach us on the topic of Bible prophecy from several different angles. Among the teachers will be Dr. Charlie Dyer from the Moody radio program, The Land and the Book, as well as my friend and previous guest on the Tove podcast, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Again, that's September 15th and 16th. The cost to attend the conference is only $10 a person, and that includes your lunch. I hope you'll join us for this wonderful event. Stay tuned for more detailed information by checking back on Life and Messiah's website. So far, we've covered five observations. We're ready for our sixth observation about this text. Our sixth observation is that Israel will be restored spiritually to the Lord. This is in addition to their being restored physically to the land. We see this in verse 6 of chapter 30. Quote, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you will live. End quote. If you're a longtime listener of the Tove podcast, you're familiar with Bible passages that predict Israel's restoration to the Lord. Indeed, Israel's restoration to the Lord and the land is a major theme of the Hebrew Bible. But did you also know 
that Israel's restoration to the Lord is an unfulfilled promise of the new covenant? Many Christians today understand that we're living under the new covenant or New Testament. But few of us have studied the provisions or the promises of the new covenant. What is promised and to whom is it promised? Well, thankfully, you can learn more about the promises and provisions of the new covenant by reading Jeremiah chapter 31. I won't spoil it for you now. I only want to say that our sixth observation for today's study is reiterated 800 years later by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. There we read the following, quote, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I'll put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. End quote. I will be their God and they will be my people. End quote. If you're interested in learning more about the New Covenant, check out the episode titled, What is the New Covenant? Published back on December 11th of 2019. Our seventh and final observation for today is that the enemies of Israel will be judged. We see this in verse 7 where Moses predicts the following, quote, The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. End quote. This should be no surprise to us. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God promises Abraham that he will bless people and nations who bless Israel and he will curse anti-Semites. Genesis 12.3 says the following, quote, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. End quote. The record of history clearly shows how this spiritual principle works. We don't have time on today's episode to discuss the downfall of nations, who've chosen to curse God's people instead of bless them. But if that topic interests you, check out the episode titled Blessing, Curse, or Coincidence, where I interview Stephen Briggs, the director of Hatikva, about their movie on this important subject. What is our application from this text? First, the God of the Bible is the only one who knows the future with 100% accuracy. As finite human beings who cannot even see one second into the future, that reality should not only awe us, it should also bring us to trust in the God of the Bible with our future. And that includes our individual, eternal future. We live in an age where very simple truths are questioned, where the belief in objective truths is becoming rare by the day. But the truths and the future that the Bible informs us of does not sway with the changing tides of culture or man's progress. The word of the Lord is fixed. It does not change. And neither do its truth claims. Who or in what are you trusting for your future? Our second application is the following. God granted Israel the title deed to the promised land. He will not, indeed cannot, revoke his unconditional promises. We should view the present world the present ordering of nations, through this biblical truth. When we have the viewpoint of the Bible, especially concerning Israel, the world makes so much more sense. If we have God's view of Israel, then we're able to better understand why the nations of the world oftentimes hate them so much and ridicule them. 
were able to better understand why Israel's enemies have tried to dislodge her, to push her into the sea. They've tried to do so on multiple occasions and yet failed. And we're able to better understand our unique role in God's redemptive program, especially when it comes to bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. Zechariah, the prophet, informs us that Israel is the apple of God's eye. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is to the Jew first. Is it any wonder why the enemy of mankind has worked so hard at keeping the gospel from the Jewish people? And our final application is this. In order to be aware of God's plans for Israel and the nations, we have to study our Bibles. We cannot rely on someone else teaching us God's truths by sitting in a pew for one hour a week. We must develop and continue a daily spiritual discipline of reading, studying, and even meditating upon God's Word. As individuals, we are ultimately responsible for our own spiritual growth. This is not the primary duty of our pastors or small group leaders. Yes, these leaders who are in these special positions are supposed to help facilitate our growth and encourage us in our growth. But nobody will have a greater impact on your growth and maturity than you. The choices that you make concerning the spiritual disciplines are of vital importance. Have you taken the responsibility to mature upon yourself? Well, thank you so much for listening to the Tove Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, chances are you'll enjoy many of the other podcasts that we've produced at Life and Messiah. You can listen to any number of topics by visiting us on the web at lifeandmessiah.org and clicking on the Tove Podcast tab at the top of the page. Thank you so much to those of you who regularly listen to the podcast and even share it with others. Until next time, Shalom.